0: Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right, well, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Hey, it's good to see you. How many of you are excited that the snow is melting? Yeah. Let me tell you, I think I'd be all right if it never snowed here again. Honestly, that's kind of where I'm at. I think I was made for Florida, you know, maybe Florida's in the future. Anyway, welcome to Canyon Creek. So glad that you're here. Want to welcome those who are joining us online for our live stream. I have an exciting thing that I want to announce to you uh, this morning, a new way that we're serving the community here at Canyon Creek. On Saturday, April 2nd, we'll be partnering with a local ministry called First Blessing to serve families in the neighborhoods right here around our church. Uh, First Blessing will come. It's it's essentially an event that we host here at the church where we invite families from the community to come and we feed them a meal and we get to visit with them, learn a little bit about them. We have the opportunity to share the gospel with them and have activities for the families and the children. And every one of these children that First Blessing helps us to identify uh, will leave this event with a brand new pair of shoes. And what I think is so cool about it is it's not just this is your size, here are your shoes. It's like a shopping experience. So they bring multiple pairs of shoes for every child and they get to choose which one they want. And I think that's really cool. It's a wonderful ministry. We're excited to partner with them to serve our community. So this is a new thing that we're doing and we have a couple asks, a couple requests to you. We need your help. The first is that we're going to need about 50 volunteers to help serve at our First Blessing event. So in the coming weeks, we'll have sign-up opportunities for you to sign up and serve. In the meantime, mark your calendar, Saturday, April 2nd, for First Blessing. The second thing is that we need to raise a little bit of money to help cover the costs associated with the event. So we're going to throw out a goal for our church to raise $3,000. That's it. It's gonna cover the meal, the socks, the shoes, everything that we need for these families. Every dollar is going to go right back in to supporting these families and ministering to them. So I wanna encourage you to sign up to serve, mark your calendar, and I wanna encourage you also to pray and ask God if he would have you to give to this outreach, a $20 gift, gives a brand new pair of shoes to a child in need. And I wanna remind you, we do all sorts of things like this throughout the year, right? We have things that we do at the beginning of the year. We have some, some summer things. We do the, the baby bottles in, in the spring uh, between Mother's Day and Father's Day. We do backpacks in the fall and all of these things add up, right? So I want to let you know, no one expects you to give to all of them, all right? And here's what you need to do. Every time one of these things come up, you need to pray and ask God, God, are you asking me to give to this and give to the ones that he calls you to give to. Does that make sense? So we're excited about First Blessing, honored to be able to host that. Today, we're in the sixth week of this reset, talking about how we can start fresh. And today, we're gonna talk about breaking out of bondage. So last week, we talked about the cycle of shame and how we free ourselves from that. Today, we're gonna go a little bit deeper and talk about how we can break out of bondage and live in freedom, because we can, right? Because of Jesus, It's possible for us to experience deliverance from the bondage in our lives, all right? Now, as soon as I say the word deliverance, some of you get scared, right? When we talk about deliverance, your mind might go straight to scripture, which is great. Some of you, you're thinking of some 80s movies. I don't want you to do that. Some of you think that I'm gonna start calling people up here and laying them out. We're not gonna do that, all right? But biblically speaking, Deliverance is a powerful thing, all right? It means that we were slaves. It means that we were in bondage. We were captives and we've been delivered from it. We've been set free. The chains of bondage have been broken and we get to live in freedom. The problem is for many believers, while it's true that God has delivered us, we don't always live in that deliverance. We don't always live in that freedom. In other words, even though God's power has removed the bondage from our lives. Rather than living a life in freedom and deliverance, we continue to live in that bondage. That's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about uh, this passage. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, we're gonna pick up there in a minute. But when I think about this, I often think of the War of 1812. Is anybody familiar with the War of 1812? Few people. I'm guessing that a lot of you probably aren't, and that's okay. This is one that we sort of skip over in our history classes. But the War of 1812 was very unique, and it's a little bit confusing because it was actually about two years long. So it lasted longer than just 1812. It began in 1812, but it didn't end until sometime late in 1814. But on January 8th, 1815, a battle took place called the Battle of of New Orleans. And the significance of this battle is that the war had already ended and a truce had already been signed in December of 1814. So the Battle of New Orleans was fought after the conclusion of the War of 1812. Great Britain had already said, okay, we're giving up. We're not gonna try to take over all the ports on this river. We're gonna back off. But the instructions hadn't made it to the commander, so they kept moving forward. Here's the connection. There's another historical event that's very similar to what happened at the Battle of New Orleans 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ, the son of God, was born of a virgin and he lived a sinless life and he was perfect all the way through his ministry and he was executed on the cross for the sins of mankind. He died to pay the penalty that our sin had incurred with God and he went to the cross and he suffered and he took care of our greatest challenge, which is sin once and for all. Sin, death, the grave, he conquered it. Three days later, he rose again and he lives today as the king and the war is over. The war for your heart is over. The war for your soul is over. The war over your life is over. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. It's completed. The debt is paid. There's nothing else you need to do to get your life right with God. It's been done for you. It's simply a matter of receiving by faith through the grace of God, the finished work of Christ. The war is over. However, we spend much of our lives fighting battles. Right? I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time now, majority of my life. I've trusted in the finished work of Christ. There's nothing else I can do to earn my way into heaven. I don't need to try. Right? I've settled it. I'm a child of God. The enemy has been defeated, but he still gets a little bit of freedom during the remainder of our years here on earth until Christ comes again. And as long as the enemy is here, and as long as our flesh is still here, we're still going to have to fight these battles, all right? The promise is you're never going to be defeated by him, right? Satan will never defeat you, but the problem is many of us live our lives as though Satan is defeating us every day, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says this, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God and he is now waiting until the enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. All right, this last part of this verse is about us. For by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We are the ones who are being sanctified. We are the ones who are being made holy. So the writer of Hebrews says that this great high priest, Jesus, is more powerful than all of the other priests Right, Jesus fought the battle when he went to the cross, and when he did, he paid the price, and he laid down his life, and he rose again in victory over sin and death and hell and the grave and over everything that threatened you. And it says, now he's seated at the right hand of God, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. In other words, the war is over. It's been decided, Jesus won. We can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but there's still battles raging, all right? Here's the challenge I wanna give you today. I wanna challenge you to live in the freedom that Jesus won for you. I wanna challenge you to live in the freedom that he purchased for you with his life. We need to stand up and fight for that freedom because while it's as good as done and we are free, We need to live like we're free. We need to learn how to be free people in Christ because on our journey towards that, we still struggle. We still hold on to things that hold us back. And we need to shake those chains loose and we need to break off that bondage and we need to demolish the strongholds that we're stuck in and we need to live a free life where we're no longer held back by those things. Does that make sense? So we're going to take a look at Isaiah 43, and we need to understand that Isaiah wrote this prophecy long before these events took place. He's writing to the Israelites, and he's telling them things like, you're going to go into captivity, and the Israelites were saying, no, we're not, not us, you don't know what you're talking about, but Isaiah was a prophet, so he knew it was coming, God revealed this truth to Isaiah, and Isaiah said, yeah, I am right, you're going to go into captivity, But the reason that I love the book of Isaiah so much is that he didn't just write about the captivity that the Israelites were going to experience. He also wrote about the deliverance that they were going to experience. And that's why I think this book is so much fun to read. Because Isaiah was saying, things are about to get really difficult for you because of your sin, right? But God is already aware of that. And he's working ahead of you. He goes before you. He's working already on your redemption. He's working already on your freedom and it's all gonna be fine in the end. So Isaiah 43, it's one of these passages, like the one we talked about a few weeks ago, that we sometimes quote without understanding its full meaning. It's one that we often quote without understanding its context. In Isaiah 43, Isaiah's telling the people of God, you're going to go into captivity, but God is going to deliver you. And when he does, this is how you need to live your life. That's sort of the point of this passage. So we're going to pick up in verse 14. And this is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says, because of you, I will send an army to Babylon and bring all of them as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Let's pause right there. So Isaiah has already told the Israelites where they're headed. He already tells them that captivity is coming, but now he's looking ahead of that to the future and he's telling the Israelites that God is going to step in and he is going to overcome the Babylonians. He's saying, you're gonna be set free. You'll defeat them. You'll be released from them. That's God's promise. And I love how God reminds the Israelites of who he is in these verses. He says, I am your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord, the Holy One, the Creator, the King. God is reminding them of who he is, all right? And in the next few verses, he gives them a reminder of their past. Says, this is what the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path through raging water, who brings out the chariot and horse, the army and the mighty one together. They lie down, they do not rise again. They are extinguished, put out like a wick. He's reminding them of a time when they were released from slavery already once before, right? They came out of Egypt, they're headed for the promised land and they immediately face this tremendous obstacle, the Red Sea, right? So Egypt's army is behind them and the Red Sea is in front of them and they're stuck. And they'd been released from slavery, but they're still a long way from the promised land. And now they seem to be caught. And I think this is exactly where so many of us are in our spirituality and our relationship with God today. Right? We've been released from slavery, but the Red Sea is right in front of us. Our freedom is, is purchased. Our sin is paid for, but we're stuck right here. Right? The enemy is creeping up and we don't know what we're gonna do. So God reminds them of this moment. And he says, remember, I took care of it. Remember, I was with you then. I parted the sea. You walked across on dry ground. The Egyptians, they they chased you down, but I buried them, right? He's saying, I took care of you in the past and I'll take care of you in the future. And then building on that, he gives them this promise that we so often quote without fully understanding the context in verse 18. He says, do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I am about to do something new. Even now it's coming. Don't you see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers, in the desert. What an incredible promise, right? We quote this, we reference it, we say, just be patient, God's doing a new thing, right? But the specific context of this verse is that God is going to deliver the Israelites that he's gonna set his people free, that he set them free once already from slavery in Egypt and he's going to set them free from Babylon and now he's going to set us free from our bondage, right? We see this in verse 25, if we skip ahead, he ends this. He says, I am the one. I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. That's good news. God wants us to trust in him. And he wants us to believe that his power can set us free from the bondage in our lives, right? He did it in Egypt on the way to the promised land. He did it again in Babylon, bringing them back into the promised land. And he says he'll do it again in our lives by sweeping away our transgressions and removing the chains that we've held on to for way too long. He wants us to live spiritually free lives in Christ. And the foreshadowing in verse 25 is of the cross and the resurrection where God literally did sweep away our transgressions with the blood of Christ. So we don't have to be stuck in sin anymore. We don't have to be stuck in bondage anymore. We don't have to be locked in a stronghold anymore. Yet we sometimes wander back into those places, right? We're free of the need to be envious or jealous of others but we sometimes wander back into that place, right? We're free from the need to be judgmental or harsh, but we sometimes wander back into that place. We're free from the need to be bitter or unforgiving, and yet we stay stuck somewhere between slavery and freedom. The New Testament echoes this in Galatians chapter five, verse one. It says, for freedom, Christ set us free. And then it gives this instruction. It says, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. I think the second part of that verse is equally as important as the first, right? But we sing it, we say it for freedom. Christ set us free and then we forget the charge. What is the charge? Stand firm, put up a fight. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Notice what Paul says. We read that verse and we say, okay, great. What a relief. I'm free because of Christ. I'm saved. I trust in him. I don't have to fight anymore. Now I can just relax. Now I can just take it easy. But Paul says, no, you need to stand firm. You need to put up a fight. You need to be strong. You cannot submit again to a yoke of slavery, all right? So Paul suggests that it's possible for me as a believer in Christ to drift back into places of slavery. He suggests that it's possible for me as a believer in Christ to drift back into a place of bondage. He suggests that it's possible for me as a believer in Christ to drift back into a place where I'm held captive by wrong thinking, by lies, by unforgiveness, by sin, by bitterness, by lust, by greed, by insecurity, by all kinds of things, if I didn't mention yours, right? We all struggle with the temptation to return back to a place of bondage again. And sometimes we think things are going good, right? We think we're safe. We've been good for several weeks. So we kind of let our guard down. And then something is said, right? Maybe even an innocence and it triggers that insecurity in us and we go right back into slavery, right? It happens all the time. You'll never be able to live as a victor if you keep living as a victim, right? We have to stand firm, as Paul said, and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So I wanna talk for a few minutes about the four most common areas of bondage that we get stuck in today. These are the things that come up over and over and over again in my conversations with people. So I wanna use them as examples today. These are examples of the way that we, as Christians as believers in Christ struggle with returning back into slavery and getting ourselves stuck in bondage. The first one is selfishness, all right? And here's how we fight this. We stand firm against selfishness by dying to self. It's literally the answer, right? Once you've made the decision to follow Jesus, your life is no longer about you, it's about him. He created you, he set you free, he died for you, he rose again and he is your king and your life should be about serving him. However, our lives are still very often about me, right? Now, when I say selfishness, a lot of us think of this in childlike terms, right? A lot of us think of selfishness as, well, I'm gonna keep all of these toys for myself and I'm not gonna share them with you, right? And that might be part of it, but selfishness is a whole lot more than that. Selfishness can be about materialism, but it can also be about comfort. It can be about what we're focusing our lives on. And I don't know about you, but I'm a very contemplative person. I'm a contemplator, I'm very introspective. So when I experience a problem or something wrong in my life, my first thought is if I can just have some time to think through this, I'll sort it all out. Right? If I could just have some time to, to sit and think, I'll, I'll figure out how to deal with this particular problem. But the problem that I've experienced over and over again in my life is that when I stop and think about things for too long, it leads me into a pattern of incorrect thinking. Right? It makes me wonder, why can't I beat this? Why is this happening in my life? How do I stop this? How do I keep this from happening again? How do I overcome this? Why do I keep failing this way? We ask ourselves these questions and we push ourselves further and further and further into an unhealthy place, and that is selfishness. Selfishness isn't just claiming everything for myself and sharing nothing with others. Yes, we might struggle with that, but the kind of selfishness that we most often get stuck in is the kind of selfishness that's all about me, my problems, my issues, my comfort, my life, and what happens is we get stuck with our focus not on Christ, not on others, not on our families, not on our loved ones, not on people who are hurting. We get stuck with our focus right here on me. And I'm not telling you that you should never focus on yourself because there are definitely times where we need to take a look inside Right There are times where we need to take a look inside and repent. There are times when we need to focus on ourselves and heal. There are times when we need to focus on ourselves and work through something. We just don't want to stay there for too long. We just don't want to keep our focus on ourselves for too long because Jesus tells us to do something different. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. He said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me, all right? Now, I think in the church today, we have taken this idea of cross bearing and we've reduced it down to anything difficult or inconvenient that happens in our lives. That's what we've done. We go through a hard time. Something doesn't go as planned. It could be a major inconvenience. It could be a minor inconvenience. It could be dealing with something in a relationship. It could be a difficult time at work. And we say, it's just my cross to bear. Listen, when you're tempted to think that, remember that the cross was an instrument of execution. All right. So when Jesus said this, he was saying, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up the instrument of your own execution. And I think if he said it that way, we'd be like, well, wait a minute, right? But that's exactly what he was saying. He said, you need to die to self. You need to lay yourself down. You need to pick up the instrument of your own execution and lay down your will. You have to pick up the instrument of your own execution and lay down the control of your life. If you wanna follow me, Jesus said, you must give me everything. But we get stuck in patterns of selfishness. We get stuck in patterns of self-focus, self-pity, self-loathing. And God wants us to move beyond that and lay self down in order to follow him, all right? So we get stuck in selfishness. Here's the second thing. We get stuck in bitterness. And here's how we fight it. We stand firm against bitterness by forgiving others. Simple. But bitterness can take root very quickly. Have you noticed that? We get mad, we get angry, we get upset, and we immediately get right up in our heads and we start repeating and rehearsing the things that made us mad and angry and upset. And eventually we end up getting stuck in a stronghold of bitterness. Now, I'm not saying that we should just completely ignore and forget the bad things that people have done to us and act like they've never happened. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we do need to learn how to move on. We do need to learn how to live beyond something. We do need to learn how to set people and offenses free in forgiveness. Because the fact is, when I'm holding on to something, I'm not holding that person back at all. I'm just holding myself back, right? And I love this charge in Colossians chapter three, verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. He says, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Paul says we should bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance. Now, I don't think that he's saying there's never going to be a time when it's appropriate to speak up about something. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's, he, he would tell us, don't stand up against evil. He wouldn't say that, right? He wants us to, to deal with things. He's not saying, don't deal with people who have hurt you. There's a time and a place for that. But if you're holding on to the grievance, you have to learn to move on because that is bondage. That's slavery. That's getting stuck in an unhealthy pattern of dwelling in the past, right? We don't want to be slaves to the past. We don't want to be slaves to bitterness. We have to learn how to move on. We have to learn how to keep moving forward. Paul gives us a reason. He says, because the Lord has forgiven you, you should forgive each other, right? Now, I don't want to minimize the pain that you have over the hurts that people have caused you, but I do want to challenge you to take steps toward freedom and away from bitterness. Because staying in bitterness is like standing on the timeline of your life and looking backward at what has been done to you. We don't wanna focus there, we wanna focus forward, right? So we need to decide, I'm gonna move on, I'm gonna forgive. Here's the next area of bondage we get stuck in. We get stuck in rejection, All right, And here's how we deal with this one. We stand firm against rejection by believing in Jesus. Because the thing about rejection is it's very unique. The pain of rejection intensifies the more you move through it. Does that make sense? It doesn't get better. Faster, it gets worse before it gets better. Typically, when someone suffers a deep wound of rejection, it affects the way they relate to people for the rest of their lives. We end up closing doors in relationships because of the ways we've been rejected. And scripture gives us an answer in Colossians chapter one. It says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless and blameless before him. What is the key word of this verse? It's were. Once you were alienated, you were condemned, you were rejected by God because of your sin, but that's not the end of the story, He loves you so much that he has now reconciled you by his physical body Through his death, he came into our world through the person of Jesus and he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. He rose from the dead to save us and now he invites us into his family. He adopts us forever. And the beautiful thing about that adoption is that he saw you, he knew you, he chose you and he invited you. So you can be defined by your worldly rejection or you can look at God And remember that he chose you before the foundation of the world. He invited you to be a part of his family. And once you make the decision to trust in him, everything is different. So we can stand firm against rejection when we understand just how accepted we are in the eyes of God, all right? And here's the fourth, the last, the most common area of bondage that we get stuck in. And this has been our theme for this whole series. We get stuck in lies, All right, how do we move beyond this? We stand firm against lies by receiving and believing God's truth. All right, I believe the biggest area of bondage, the biggest stronghold that we get stuck in, are the lies. We get stuck in the bondage of believing lies about who God is, we get stuck in the bondage of believing lies about who we are, we get stuck in bondage of believing all sorts of lies. And in Ephesians chapter six, Paul wrote a passage about the armor of God. And one of the pieces of armor that he talks about is the shield of faith. And Paul says, we need a shield of faith because of the fiery arrows of the evil one. And that's typically how these lies make their way into our lives as fiery arrows from the evil one, right? What do they sound like? They sound like you'll never be good enough. You'll never measure up. You'll never make a difference. You'll never be able to get past this. You'll never be happy. You'll never be a good person. You'll never be able to break free. You'll never be able to change. And we need to stand firm against these lies. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three, it says, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. It says, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This passage says that God gave us a set of supernatural weapons in his word to help us to stand firm against the lies. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his power. He gives us everything we need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we need to learn how to reject lies in the moment because they're gonna keep finding their way through the cracks in our lives. We'll be okay for a while and then a lie will find its way in and all of a sudden we're back in bondage. All of a sudden, we're back in slavery. We're stuck somewhere between slavery and freedom and Jesus paid for our freedom, but we're not living in it yet. We have to suit up with God's word. We need to stand firm. It's the only way. The Bible tells us greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. So we get to fight these battles knowing that God is greater. We get to fight these battles knowing that God is, has won. So we need to take steps and walk forward into a life of victory and freedom. We're going to talk about that more next week, but I want to pray together this morning as we close. Father, we thank you so much that you have already defeated sin. We thank you that you've already defeated death. We thank you that the battle has already been won. We thank you that the work has been finished. We pray, God, that you would help us to keep our focus forward on our freedom and not backward on our bondage. We wanna live lives free of bondage. We wanna live lives free of slavery. So we pray, God, that you would help us to stand firm. We thank you for everything that you've equipped us with, everything that you've given us that will help us to put up a good fight, to help us to fight with faith, help us to fight with your spirit, help us to fight with your power, help us to fight with the truth of your word. God, we wanna stand against selfishness. We wanna stand against bitterness. We wanna stand against rejection and we wanna stand against the lies. And we know that the greatest weapon we have is your truth. So we pray that you would help us to bury it deep within our hearts so that we can remember it when the fiery arrows of the evil one find their way into our lives. So we thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die in our place heads bowed and eyes closed for just a minute. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and you're stuck deep in a place of bondage in your life today. You're stuck deep in a place of slavery. You're stuck deep in a place that is caused by something in your past. You're stuck deep in a place that is caused by something that's harming you. The good news for every single one of us is that we can live in freedom right, that that verse is true. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. The battle has already been won for you. You can experience this freedom, this forgiveness, this salvation in a relationship with Jesus because God sent him to the world and he lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death on a cross and he was buried in a tomb, but he came out of it alive so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. So if that's you today, you wanna place your faith in Jesus, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Church, let's make this our prayer together today. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.